Oh, you sure are gussed up. Where are you going? I'm going shopping for our Thanksgiving vittles. I hear your bow's coming to eat with us. I ain't got no bow. Your pa says so. Mr. Drysdale's stepson. You know, the one they call uh, Sonny. Sure, fine. Never even seen him. <laughs> the way your pa tells it, he's coming to court you and spark you. What does that mean? You don't know what uh, courting and sparking is? No. No, I guess you wouldn't at that. Well, when I get back, you and me better have a little talk. Have you ever been courted and sparked, Granny? Honey? <laughs> when I was a girl back in Tennessee, I set so many boys' hearts on fire that they took to calling that neck of the woods the Smoky Mountain. <laughs> well, see you later. Granny says she's going to have a talk with me about courting and sparking. She is. Well, I'm glad of that, Ellie. I was kind of wondering who was going to do that. Well, Paul, why don't you tell me about courting and sparking? Well, Ellie, that's something that a girl's ma usually tells her about. Well, I ain't got no ma, so why don't you tell me? Well, Granny will do it when she comes back. Well, what if she don't get back before Sonny Drysdale comes? Then I won't know how to court and spark him. Well, you ain't supposed to court and spark him. That's what a fella does to a girl. How? What if he does? Well, he uh, gets himself all slicked up, shaves real close, shines his shoes, puts on a stiff collar and a clean shirt. And he goes to calling on the girl, toting the... Nice, big, store-bought box of candy. Hot diggity dog, I'm gonna like courting and sparking. It's only the courting part. I ain't got to the sparking yet. What's that like, Paul? Well, uh, she invites him to come in the parlor and sit. And they usually sit on the sofa or something, him on one end, her on the other. Yeah? Well, then, uh, he goes to... Carefully, little at a time, scooching down to where he's within reaching distance of the girl. Sonny Drysdale gonna do that to me? He might. <laughs> and when he does, that's when a girl has got to be careful. Don't you worry, Paul. If that rascal goes to reaching for my candy, I'll knock him clean off of that sofa. <laughs> Still, I'm liable to lop off here. Well, doggone it, Granny, hurry up. I gotta get out there and keep an eye on Sonny and Ellie. You want me to go out and see what they's up to, Uncle Jay? Now, you just sit still, the both of you. I expect Ellie May to get a husband if you don't let the boy spark her. Well, Ellie ain't never been learned about such things. Jed, sparking is like breathing. You don't learn to do it. Somebody slaps you and you go at it. <laughs> Come, fair maiden. And I shall sing of your golden tresses and your azure eyes and your skin of alabaster and your other charms that set me aflame. You mean you're really burning? <laughs> yes, dear one. And only you can put out the fire. Okay. <laughs> How's that, Sonny? You feel better now? Starting this, uh, this Wednesday night, our youth director, Katora Walter, and her team are going to be devoting four weeks to a topic that they're calling privacy or purity. You can have a private life or you can have a pure life, but you can't have both. And so we're going to be appropriately encouraging and equipping our students to guard their hearts and minds in the area of sexual purity. In Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, it says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It goes on, it says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. 
And that's what we're going to help our teenagers to do. And I want to lead the way in that conversation by challenging our whole congregation to rise up with sexual purity. You guys know I like to give a sermon in a sentence. And that sermon in a sentence is, sex outside of God's design will bring destruction every time. Sex outside of God's design will bring destruction every time. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep down and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood came, the torrent crashed against the house, but could not shake it because the house was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not act on them is like a man who built his house on ground without a foundation, like on sand. The torrent crashed against the house and immediately it fell and great was its destruction. When it comes to um, sexual purity, Christians are like hillbillies, man. I mean, we don't talk about sex at church. We don't teach our kids about sex at home. We don't hear what God's word has to say, or we do, but we don't act on it. And without realizing there's this area in our life that has a weak foundation. Everything else can be amazing. Everything else can be out of this world. But if sexuality in our lives is outside of God's design, it won't be long until other areas in our lives begin to crumble. Melissa and I know this personally. And we've made the commitment to stay within God's design and to teach our kids God's design for sexuality. Parents, listen to me. One of the greatest privileges that we have as parents is to be the one that teaches our kids about sex. I mean, they're going to hear it either way, right? They are going to learn it no matter what, right? Don't we want them to learn the right things at the right time, the first time? Melissa and I learned this the hard way. When our oldest, Aiden, was about five years old, he came home one day from school, kindergarten, and he asked me a question, and I was like, where did you hear that? Oh, so-and-so at school. I was like, you're kidding me. And so I went inside, and I got two clear glasses. And I filled them both with water, and I got some dirt and sprinkled it, and one of them shook it up. I said, son, there's two versions of this conversation. There's the clean version and the dirty version. You heard the dirty version. And I poured out that cup of water. And I began to tell him appropriately, age age appropriate about what he had just learned, about what he had just heard. Parents, listen to me. Time release the talk to your kids. Time release the talk to your kids. Appropro things at the appropro times. Okay? That's a word we use in our house. Appropro. Hey, that's inappropro. We don't talk like that. We don't look at that. Turn that off. That's inappropro. So in our house, that's a word. You are welcome to adopt that into your family. But listen, the appropro info at the appropro times. I'm not talking about birds and bees, guys. I'm not talking about storks. Okay? I remember one time I told Aiden, we found you under a rock. You know, if that's what you tell your kids, don't tell them that either. Don't talk about sparking. Okay? We don't want the hillbilly version of sex education, do we? No. Man, I'll never forget giving my two youngest boys the talk. They were about 10 and 11. Aiden, our oldest, is four years older than them, so he had already had the talk, but I had him come too. And us four sat and had the funnest time on earth. It was hilarious. There were moments where we were rolling on the floor laughing as I gave them the talk. I wish I had time to tell you the story because it truly is amazing. 
But what a privilege it, it, it was to share that with them. Let me ask you, why does the world have to own the conversation about sexuality? Why? The church has something to offer the world. Because we know the one that started the conversation. Isn't that right? The, the world has made sex a God. But we know the God who made sex. Isn't that right? And he made it holy. Did you know that? God made sex holy. When sex is shared in that sacred place of marriage, it's an act of worship that welcomes and even invites the very presence of God. You guys remember that scene where Moses saw the burning bush in the desert? It says in Exodus chapter 3, Moses thought, I got to go over and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is burning, is not burning up. And it said, when God saw that Moses was going to go over to look at it, he called out to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Moses was like, what? Here I am. And God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. You ever thought, what in the world made that crappy little spot in the desert holy? It was holy because God set that piece of ground apart for his use. And it was holy because the Holy One himself was there. When God's presence and his purposes come together, ordinary things become sacred things. It's like communion. We took communion this morning. What's so special about that? We break off a little cracker and dip it into to some juice. We ain't even got enough juice to make it soggy. We still got to deal with the. What makes that so sacred? Because Jesus told us to do it. He had a purpose for it. And when we do, his presence comes and that ordinary thing becomes a sacred thing. Same thing with baptism. We can do all that swimming at a pool. Isn't that what we do, guys? We dunk each other and try to drown each other and kill each other and murder each other, <laughs> right? What makes that so special? Because God commanded it. He ordained it. And when we are obedient to do it, he is there. And it's no longer an ordinary thing. It's a sacred thing. The enemy of God has worked hard for so long to get our culture to, to a place where it views and even treats sex like it's something ordinary. Like it's just this nonchalant thing. Like it's unspecial. It's like we watched in that video, Granny from, you know, the Beverly Hillbillies. Sparking is like breathing. You don't learn to do it. You just, what does it say? Somebody snaps you and you go at it. That's ridiculous. But that's about how casual and ordinary we treat it. The sad thing is, is it is kind of true. You know, sex is not rocket science. But if you want your sexuality to be pure, you want it to be lovely and admirable, honorable, even worshipful, then it needs to be built on a right and true foundation. So this morning, I want to give you three things you need to know about sexual purity. I'm going to say a lot. There's going to be a lot on the screen. You write as much as you want down. If you don't have time to write all that down, text us, email us. We'll get you the slides with the information in the scriptures. Three things you need to know about sexual purity. Number one, God requires sexual purity. God requires sexual purity. First Thessalonians chapter four. I want you to turn there. First Thessalonians chapter four. I'm going to go ahead and get started. You guys can catch up. I'm starting in verse 1. 1 Thessalonians, uh, starting at chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Catch this. Twice in just a couple of sentences, he affirms that they've already talked about this. 
Like he's already been teaching on whatever he's about to go on to say. He said it twice. We've already taught you this. You've already heard this. And he goes on and he says, God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from sexual sin. Of all the things Paul could have listed first, of all the things he could have warned us to stay away from, he chose sexual sin. Why? Because our sexuality is the strongest area of flesh we have. Once we come of age, by and large, sexual urges are the most irresistible urges we have. I mean, probably more so than hunger. I mean, husbands, if, if you came home and your wife was like, honey, would you like me to make you some dinner or would you rather go make out? It's like, is this a trick question? <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just being silly, but there is a reason why sexual sin is always listed first. God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual immorality. And then in verse four, it says, then, then. Each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. In other words, the more you submit your sexuality to the Lord, the more you'll see other areas in your life become holy and honorable. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. And he goes on. It's like, I'm just getting started. <laughs> Verse 5, not in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in the matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. Okay, that's a third, that's a third mentioning that he's, they've talked about this before. Verse 7, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Not sure if you caught that, but anyone who refuses to live sexually pure lives is rejecting God. God requires sexual purity. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't hear too many pages turning. I think everybody might be in shock at how many times I've already said sex. <laughs> like. Starting in verse 9, this is the Apostle Paul again. And he says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin. <laughs> Here we go again. The apostle Paul puts sexual purity at the top of the list. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols. You have to remember idols in those times. Most idols in those days had some sort of sexual focus. Okay. And commit adultery are male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, or are thieves and greedy people and drunkards and abusive and people who cheat? <laughs> okay, so he goes on. There's all kinds of options there, but he lists the sexual stuff first. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. It goes on later on in verse 13. It says, but you can't say that your bodies were made for sexual immorality. You can't say that. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised the Lord from the dead. Verse 15, don't you realize that your bodies are actual parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! I emphasize it that way because I think he did. There's an exclamation point there in the original language. Never! Stomping around the room. I don't know. Can you imagine his scribe that writes for him? He's like, all right, man, I get it. Do you want two exclamation points? What you want? I can see that you are passionate about this. Paul says, never. Don't do it. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. For the scripture says the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Verse 18, run. 
from sexual sin. There's actually an exclamation point here too, but I thought I'd settle down. He says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. That precious blood that we sang about this morning. Amen. So you must honor God with your body. God requires sexual purity. Number two, sexual purity requires strategy. How many of you know that's true? Sexual purity requires strategy. When you're single, when you're dating, even when you're married. Let's start with sex when you're single. Sex when you're single. This is a real simple one. There shouldn't be any. <laughs> right? It's that simple. All the single people in the room are like, it ain't that simple. And you know, the reality is, is it's not that simple. It's actually very difficult. In Ephesians chapter 5, um, verses 21 through about 33, there's some brief instructions for husbands and wife, uh, wives, you can go back and you can read that. But I believe in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17 through about Ephesians 5, 20, it's meant for everyone, but especially for those who are single. Just to give you some snapshots, Ephesians 4, 17 says, you, you can't live like the ungodly anymore because they give themselves over to sensuality, uh, sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with a craving for more. He goes on and he talks about how we need to be imitators of God. Says that there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality among you or any kind of impurity. Immoral, impure, greedy people will not inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 8 it says, you, and check this out, verse 8, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Test and approve what pleases the Lord. Have no fellowship. Listen, have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. He says, walk in the light. It's another way of saying, let your life be open and pure, not private. Real quick, I want to give you three common fruitless deeds of darkness for single people. Number one, self-pleasure, gratifying yourself. I realize there's a debate as to whether that's right or wrong. Here's what I know. Again, Ephesians chapter four, you can't live like the ungodly anymore because they give themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with a craving for more. Two words there, impurity in the original language means Unclean mind, impure motive. Unclean mind, impure motive. Sensuality in that language means unbridled, excessive, habitual, addictive lust. 99.9% of the time, self-pleasure involves these two things. Unclean mind, impure motives. Unbridled, excessive, habitual, addictive lust making them literally <laughs> unfruitful deeds of darkness. Remember, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Because this is something that's done in private without a, God-given spouse, it doesn't fit any of these qualities. It's best to steer clear and not practice that impurity. Another one is pornography. And this isn't just a single person's issue, but I'm talking to single people right now. Pornography is another common fruitless deed of darkness for those who are single. Listen to me. Pornography gives an already vivid imagination 
fresh material. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Pornography is addictive. There are people in this room, statistically, there are people in this room that know that to be true. Pornography is addictive. 2 Peter 2.19 says that you're a slave to whatever controls you. Pornography is addictive. Pornography is destructive. Proverbs 6, verse 25, it goes on. It says, don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coyness seduce you. For a prostitute will bring you to poverty. And sleeping with another man's wife may cost you your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap and not be burned? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? One more common fruitless deed of darkness for single people or one night stands like casual sex and prostitutes. First Corinthians six, we've already read it. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ and join it to a prostitute? Remember, And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. It's interesting because the word prostitute in that original language, Greek language, is the word porne. It's where we get the word porn or pornography. And what it means is a prostitute, any person indulging in unlawful or ungodly sexual activity, whether for gain, money, or even just for lust. Just to be doing it. Sex when you're single. Let's talk about sex when you're dating. Sex when you're courting. I got three don'ts for when you're dating. Okay, write this down. And you may be married, you haven't dated in like 20 years. Or write this down for somebody else. You should be dating on some level, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, three don'ts for when you're dating. Number one, don't awaken love too soon. Don't awaken love too soon. Song of Solomon 2 verse 7, 3 verse 5, 8 verse 4, 5 verse 8, all talk about how we got to be careful not to be faint or weak with love. When Melissa and I meet with young couples who pair up, whether they're in high school or they're in college or, or that marrying age or whatever, we all always obviously talk about physical boundaries, like don't touch this and don't touch that and stay away from each other like that. But you know what we also talk about? Emotional boundaries. Emotional boundaries, because when, when we awaken the emotional part of love, Scripture calls that the eros kind of love, we open ourselves up to the physical part as well. Paul says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God, listen, you don't belong to yourself. <laughs> For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Listen, especially if you're, you're dating or single or anybody, but especially single dating, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. You don't even belong to yourself. You certainly don't belong to your boyfriend or your girlfriend. That's just not where you're at. In the timeline, okay? Don't awaken love too soon. Number two, don't date second rate. Let that sink in. Don't date second rate. Why are you with someone that's second rate? That person ain't good for you. And you know, you know I've found it doesn't take long to figure out someone's second rate. If you're walking with the Holy Spirit, wise and discerning, you can figure that out in about 15 minutes. And that's when you say, thank you for the meal, and you walk off so that they'll still pay for it. <laughs> you can do that even if you're a guy. Listen, <laughs> you get up, and she's like, I thought he was going to pay. Listen, don't date second rate. Don't do that. Scripture talks about being careful that you are with someone or not with someone that you are unequally yoked with. Don't date. Second rate, go for someone that's godly. Like, let that be your goal. And as soon as you figure out, I don't, 
I don't think they're after the same thing in life as I am. Leave them with the bill. <laughs> don't awaken love too soon. Don't date second rate. Listen, don't court without accountability. Don't court without accountability. Don't date without accountability. Who in your life is wise and discerning? Especially if you're not. And there's some people that aren't very discerning, not very wise. It's okay. Somebody around you is. Who in your life is wise and discerning? Who will you give authority to ask you hard questions that you will also tell the truth to? Who in your life are you willing to do that? If you are dating, courting, you need someone in your life that's asking you the hard question. What y'all been doing? Where were you? I know what y'all were doing. Whatever. And not lying. Oh, we were just, oh, no, you weren't. I know what you're doing. I put a camera in your car. <laughs> you don't want somebody like that. That's weird. Here, real quick, too. Can I encourage you, if you're courting, dating, go public. Go public. Don't court in private. Go public. Let your dates be out in the open with other couples, with your parents, with his parents, with someone. Melissa and I have had many young couples court in our house. When they are together, they're in our house. Or in our minivan, we've had many say, well, we courted in Tony and Melissa's minivan, like we were there too. So anyway, and we have found that what you do in public, listen, what you do in public, you will triple in private. You touching him there, she touching you there in public, I don't even want to know what you're doing in private. Well, I know what you're doing in private. You just showed me. Just multiply that by three. Go public. Okay, let's talk about this third one, sex when you're married. This one's easy. Enjoy. Enjoy one another. Like for real. Enjoy one another. Song of Solomon verses, uh, chapter 1 verse 16 says, I am my beloved and he is mine or she is mine. I love the NLT version. My lover is mine and I am his. Or I am hers. This leads us to our big number three. Sexual purity reinforces intimacy. Sexual purity reinforces intimacy. Remember we said sex outside of God's design will bring destruction every time. Isn't that what we said? Would you know the opposite's true? Sex inside of God's design will bring construction Every time, every time a married husband and wife, all right, male and female physically join themselves together within God's design. Listen, something is being built or something is being rebuilt. Something is being constructed. Let me show you real quick. God's design for sex because God sex was God's idea, right? He had at least three things in mind and I'm going to start with the lowest priority. Okay. in his design and his, uh, his idea procreation. There are many that think that was his number one priority. It wasn't. It's a big priority. Some even think that, that it's wrong and ungodly to do it unless you're doing it for procreation. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It's like, are you for reals? In fact, there is such hypocrisy in that statement. It just makes me want to just, what was Paul doing in that room? <laughs> but that's the, that's the lowest on the totem pole priority, procreation. Let's go up. The next one, physical and emotional pleasure for a man and his wife to enjoy. Like that was part of the plan. Physical and emotional pleasure for a man and his wife to enjoy. But you may be shocked by God's number one priority in his planning for sexual intimacy. And that's to model the intimacy that he desires to have with us. True statement. Real quick, I want to show you how sexual intimacy is a picture of salvation. 
Y'all ready? Now let's reason together. How does it work when relations start? The groom, or the young man, the groom, pursues the bride. True? You know, how you doing? You know? I remember I would flick my mullet in front of Melissa <laughs> and wiggle my earring. That actually, actually wasn't, the first thing she made me do was cut my hair and pull out the earring. I was like, oh, that wasn't it? She know, it was your fabulous looks, Tony. Oh, okay, well. Do tell. <laughs> but think about it. The groom pursues the bride. Well, we know that God pursues us. The Holy Spirit woos us. Isn't that right? We know that the bride, if I were to ask my bride to marry me, to be with me, to marry me, she has two options. I do or I don't. Yes or no, thank you. It's the same thing in our faith. God presents the gospel, the message of the cross. We choose it or we don't. I'd like to have you in my life, give you lordship. You become my groom, I become the bride of Christ. Or don't. It's that simple, right? But if we do say, if the bride does say, I do, then what happens? They're married and marriage is consummated. Same thing in our walk with Jesus. I mean, communion is a form of consummation. Every time we take communion, it's a renewal, isn't it? Yeah, it's a reminder. That's why Jesus said, do this to remember me, to remember you're in covenant with me. Remember that choice, remembering that you said I do, till death do us part. But let's get even more specific than that. The groom comes into his bride. Christ comes into us. True story? Both experience great joy. Scriptures are there. Look them up. The groom plants his seed into the bride. Christ planted the Holy Spirit into us. Right? Now think about this. The bride carries life inside of her. Right? For how long? How long does the bride carry life inside of her? Nine months. Or you nurses are like, 40 weeks, three days, and two months, you know. Like, come on. We got to keep it simple around here. Nine months. The bride, the gestation period, nine months, roughly nine months. She carries life inside of her. We carry life inside of us. Isn't that the big deal? Isn't that the big, the big win? Our old life is gone. Behold, the new has come. Yes. And what happens after nine months? The bride bears fruit. We call it a baby. Amen? Aren't we told in Scripture that we are to bear fruit? In fact, they'll know us by our fruit, right? Let me ask you a question. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know how many there are? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Self-control. Nine fruits of the Spirit. Coincident? I think not. <laughs> think about this. This baby is a gift. It's a gift to the couple. It's a gift to the world. Why? Because every person is created with a calling and a purpose. A good work created in advance for them. Amen. Melissa and I have always seen every one of our ch children as gifts to us. Woohoo! But then also a gift to the world. That's why we take great care to raise them and to nourish and encourage those gifts as best as we can in their lives because we believe they are a gift to the world. True or false? Weren't we given gifts by God? 1 Corinthians 12 lists these really powerful Ministry gifts. By the way, do you know how many there are? Nine. Can't even make that up. And of course, the whole picture, life is forever changed.
right? Life has changed when you get married. Life has changed when you have your first kid. Life has changed when you have your second. By the time you get your fourth, you just want to die. And we know that's true in our faith as well. Life is forever changed. By the way, this is why the enemy works so hard to pervert sex. Because he can't stand the joy that both God and his people enjoy together. So he focuses a lot of his attention on getting man to be immoral. Galatians 5.19 says that the deeds of the flesh are obvious. Verse 3, immorality, impurity, sensuality. Together, those three give you a big definition, basically the abuse or the misuse of sexuality, the perversion of sex. Immorality is Satan's perversion of God's creation. And that's true in all kinds of areas, not just sexuality. You hear what I'm saying? But that's what we're talking about this morning, sexual purity. How does a man abuse or misuse sexuality? He perverts it, right? We know people like that, people that are just weird and get sexually inappropriate. And what do we call them? Perverts. What does it mean to pervert something? To turn to an improper use. It's like, eh, you shouldn't talk like that, bro. That's inappropriate, right? Galatians 5, I like the message version of this, um, talking about sexual impurity, immorality, impurity, sensuality. Here it says, pleasures, repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. Remember we said sex outside of God's design will bring destruction every time. Because sex outside of God's design is like a cheap product that breaks as soon as you take it home. My kids used to love going through fast food stores or restaurants when they were kids because they loved the toys. They'd get the toys. Let's go here because they have this toy. So we'd get the toys. And they were cheap. Inevitably, before we even left the parking lot, the toy would break. That used to, that used to just deflate my oldest son. The toy would break and you'd just hear him in the back. And I'd be driving, and I was like, I knew what happened. The toy broke. Listen, you going to shop at McDonald's for Christmas? Anybody think, it, uh, well, I need to do some Christmas shopping. Babe, I'm running to McDonald's. No, that's ridiculous. But listen, every time a single person engages in one of those fruitless deeds of darkness, Every time a dating couple ignores biblical and relational accountability and crosses over appropriate physical boundaries, you're shopping at a fast food your way, right away, give me the cheap toy restaurant. Not only does that dishonor God, who's prepared great things for you in advance, it dishonors the spouse that he has prepared for you in advance and and will, I promise you, will affect your sexual purity even after you're married. You know, there's a lot of married couples that don't enjoy a consistent and satisfying sexual relationship. In my 20 plus years of ministry and marriage and premarital counseling, I have found that that is always because of what we bring in or what we let in. When I say what we bring in, I mean, maybe we latched onto that inappropriate and inaccurate introduction to sex that we got when we were in second grade. You know, it's like, ah, scarred us for life. You know, it's like, oh, I can't even think about it anymore. Or maybe, you know, we've never addressed our pornography or other kind of sexual addiction in our life. Or maybe we never forgave and received healing from the sexual abuse that we experienced, maybe in our childhood. Or it could just be that we never repented to our spouse for not having self-control before we were married. And the list could go on and on and on and on. Sometimes it's, it's because of what we bring in, but sometimes it's because of what we let in. Or we just got tired. Or we got lazy. Or we got bored. Or we got stressed. 
or we got distracted. We got Netflix. We got smartphones. We got a promotion at work. We had kids. We let other things become the source of our satisfaction. We become emotionally unhealthy. We become physically unhealthy. Physical unhealth can ruin a lot. I want you to hear me because we don't think in these terms, but I want to tell you as your friend and as your pastor, when a husband and wife don't consistently and joyfully engage in physical intimacy, your intimacy glass has some trash in it. And that is a form of sexual impurity. Because it's not true. It's not honorable. It's not right. It's not pure. It's not lovely. It's not admirable. It's not excellent. It's not worthy of praise. But it can be. It can be. You just got to talk about it. You got to work on it. You got to purify it. What kind of trash is keeping you apart? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get back to God's design for sexual purity in your marriage. And when you do, two things will happen. Remember, sexual purity reinforces intimacy. Sexual purity reinforces intimacy. Two things will happen. Intimacy with your spouse will begin to grow stronger. Not just sexual intimacy, all kinds. That will happen if you just get the trash out. But also intimacy with Jesus will grow stronger because he's the one that created the whole thing. And he created it to be a parallel picture of our relationship with him. Amen. I want you to stand. I realize it's a sensitive subject all the way around. Totally get that. I also realize that no one in this room has been left out. Not one person. Not one person. And because of that, the Holy Spirit could be speaking to anyone in this room. Encouraging, challenging, convicting. We're also aware of how adamant the enemy is to bring us down, to distort, to pervert, to keep us unhealthy. And so he's whispering lies. Things like, yep. He's talking to you. And you'll never change. But we've already read this morning. That's not true. Let me revisit 1 Corinthians 6 really quick. It's going to be up on the screen. So you can read silently along with me. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual impurity or who worship idols, commit adultery, male prostitutes, those who practice homosexuality, or thieves and greedy people and drunkards, abusive people, people that cheat. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Everybody look at me. Before Christ, I lived a terribly promiscuous life. Terribly. If I even told you half the things I was involved with, your jaw would drop. And you wouldn't want to listen to me anymore. It's just the fact. So you're kind of in safe company. But here's the safety. 
I was cleansed. I was made holy. I was made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the company that you're in. That's the freedom you can enjoy. Speaking of freedom, I want to bring attention again to our freedom class that we're doing in March because this sermon is really still connected with rising up with freedom. And there are many in the body of Christ that need freedom from all kinds of things, but especially freedom from sexual immorality. And there may be some in this room that need that. Freedom class isn't going to fix that for you, but it is a step in the right direction. And it can give you some tools to get started with. It can give you people around you that are praying for you, supporting you. You don't even have to make it a, you know, people aware that that's your issue, but you being there, there's a support, there's a covering, there's prayer. Amen. I encourage you, sign up for the class. I can't, it's going to be in this room. I, I can't think of any reason why it shouldn't be full of people. In fact, we got to use an overflow room in the lounge because there's so many people that are like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm ready to walk in the newness of life. I'm ready to live a life worthy of the calling that I've received in my Lord Jesus Christ. I've put it off. That's a great start. Won't fix you, but it's a great start. There's the link to sign up. Very simple. I want to pray for you. And you're going to be officially dismissed. If anyone here needs prayer for anything, anything, it doesn't have to be the stuff we were talking about today. Doesn't have to be sexual immorality. Remember, we read verse ten: of thieves and greedy people and drunkards, abusive. There's all kinds of options. <laughs> Take your pick. Don't think, well, if I go up there, people are going to think I'm a pervert. No, they may just think you're a cheater. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just come up for prayer. <laughs> you're something on that list. No, I'm kidding. You could be struggling with anything or just need some encouragement. But when we're dismissed, um, if you need prayer for anything, feel free to come up, and we'll have some people available to pray for you. Okay. Would you lift a hand out like this? Um, we like to do that a lot around here because we believe when we gather in these moments, God is more than willing to deposit more of his Holy Spirit. He's already in us. He already lives in us. He already dwells in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. But he loves to give special deposits from his Holy Spirit to comfort, to counsel, to convict, to guide, to empower. So, Lord, this morning we ask that you would do all of those things. It is your role in our lives, your divine power, helping us live that life of godliness. And we need it because we've tried it on our own, and that doesn't work. So would you fill us afresh today? In Jesus' name, amen.